Hello and welcome to the Digital PR Podcast, a podcast that will cover the big talking points of the digital PR industry. My name is Steve Baker and this is Louise Parker. Hello. We both work at digital marketing agency Propellernet and we've both been working in digital PR for a long time. Nearly a decade for you, Lou, right? Yep, that's right. And over a decade for me now. In the last few years, we've seen the digital PR industry explode. And with that has come a lot of interesting conversations about how the discipline works and where it's going. From creativity to relevance to burnout, this podcast will cover the subjects that everyone is talking about with the help of some very special guests. Joining us today is Mark Perkins, Creative Director at Cow, a PR agency based in London. He's had an illustrious career so far, working on a number of award-winning campaigns that if you work in PR, you will no doubt have heard of. One of them is Missing Type for NHS Blood and Transplants, and another is Christmas Tinner for Game, just to name a few. Of course, behind all those amazing campaigns would have been a new business pitch. And that's what me and Steve will be talking to him about today. We'll be picking Mark's brains about the good, the bad, the ugly of new business pitching and what the future of it might look like. Welcome to the podcast, Mark. Thank you for having me on. No worries at all. Thank you for making time for us. Mark, we're so excited to chat to you about this. Very excited to meet you. We both follow you on Twitter. Enjoy your updates about all things PR and, and your life. But let's start, before we get on to like new business, let's start sort of, I was going to say from the beginning, but not quite from the beginning. Just tell us a little bit about yourself. What's your background? Where have you worked? What are you doing? What are you doing now? Just tell us a little bit about yourself. Next month will be 25 years since I've been in London agency life, which kind of dates me. Uh, I started a, an agency called The Red Consultancy and mm-hmm. um, was there for a few years and was then Cal's first employee back in 2000. You were the first? The greatest director. One, I was the first, yeah. Um, back in the days when the office consisted of a phone and a file of fax, and I think we might have had one email address between the three of us. Um, I was... I think one of the first, if not the first, creative directors at a PR agency. That was back in 2008. Um, I left in 2012 to become creative lead, first at an agency called MHP and then W. Uh, Then I came back in 2020 just because, having been around the block, I really like Cal. A lot of the people that were here when I left were still here. I like the culture, the agency, its approach to work. Uh, and they actually still liked me, funnily enough, and they would <laughs> they would they welcome me back. Um, what I like about the agency is that it does provocative, interesting, original work, um, and it kind of matches my ambitions and the way of doing things. Partly because I kind of grew up the cow way. Um, so at the moment, I work with another creative director called Matt uh, on creative ideas with the rest of the agency, also strategy as well. And yeah, very heavily involved in in new business and growing the business and attracting new clients. Well, that is why we have you on. Yeah. <laughs> that is the subject of today. <laughs> um, I mean, the first question we have for you actually is that mix of new business and obviously your creative director role. Um, and we were wondering how much do you think a PR new biz pitch is one based on the creative ideas? It's a good question, uh, and it depends. It depends on the client. And I think about this. There's other factors why you win a pitch. It's the experience, other clients that you have, chemistry in the room, who you know. Um, but if you just think you've got the best ideas and you're going to win a pitch, you're wrong because 
you're not pitching to creative people. Uh, and that's because if they were really genuinely creative, they wouldn't be a CMO or a brand manager. They, they hire agencies to do that job. Um, so I might think I know what's a really game-changing, award-winning idea, but they not, may not necessarily be able to recognize it, or it may not be apparent to them. Um, similarly, they'll have agencies pitching to them, and they may not know if an idea has been done 10 times before, if it's a bit passe or cliche, or if it's not feasible. Um, I did pitch once for an FMCG brand. We lost the pitch because apparently the other agency came up with the most amazing idea. And that idea I found out was that they were going to get, the whole, the whole thing was about how do we communicate with that product there is no mess. And they came up with a pitch winning idea that they got uh, Lionel Messi to change his name to Lionel No Messi um, <laughs> for the World Cup. Mm. Now, this was on a 50K budget. And Lionel Messi's brand is his name. And he's not going to change it for a fajita kit uh, for £50,000. So, but the client thought that was an amazing idea at the time. So just because you've got an amazing strategy and a really good set of robust original ideas, you can't just rest in your laurels because you know you think they're great. You have to, and I always draw this into people, that when you're presenting an idea, you have to sell. Don't tell. Don't just assume they'll get it's a great idea. You really have to give them a vision of how this idea can blow up and the difference it can make and how it will be received and how people will be talking about it. So don't just tell them the kind of the beginning and middle and end and make it linear and here's the idea and you get it in the Daily Mirror and you get this amount of links and that kind of thing. It's got to be more about what's the, what's the big outcome. And you've got to remember as well when you're pitching, you're not just pitching... Um, some ideas and some creative and a program that you're pitching to someone they're thinking about okay what's this going to do for my business how will this drive sales uh what will this do for my personal reputation you know will it you know get me a promotion you know will it get me a different job elsewhere so there's lots of dynamics going on rather than just here's a great idea and assuming they'll lap it up there's there's so many ways that you can land it correctly or incorrectly that's really interesting because i i often when i first started pitching myself I often thought it was always about the idea and the strength of ideas and used to stress quite a lot about it and the, the sort of the follow-up question for that was like what kind of process do you follow when you get like a a brief in how long do you spend on the ideas versus sort of thinking about their brand or the chemistry or who's going to be going to that pitch because you, you've raised quite a lot of interesting points there because obviously your role is creative but like how do you split it how do you actually like address that brief and make sure you're sort of hitting everything that you want to hit? Uh, well, never go straight into ideas. It's always, it's the biggest tip tension as a creative to do, just go straight into ideas. But <clears throat> really understand the brand, the market they're in, the competitors, uh, but most importantly, the audience. Who is it we're ultimately speaking to? Who is it we want to buy these products or this service or who, whose perceptions we want to change, what's going on in their lives. Have a good understanding of the audience, the media they consume, what life is like for them. And you kind of think like a strategist or a planner. We don't have those here. So we kind of think we do that role. We, we, we think differently about audiences, brands, marketplace, who we're pitching to in the room, what the opportunities are, what the risks are, uh, to form a strategy, you know, and, and come up with a platform 
that is based on a human insight or a brand insight. And people get confused about insights. Um, a lot of people think an insight is a fact. It isn't. A fact is a fact. An insight is more of a hidden human or brand truth. And once you're equipped with that, you can form a platform or an idea around it. And if you hit the strategy right with that insight, the kind of the brand proposition that you're going in with, that you're building, sometimes you've already won the pitch because mm -hmm. you've come in with an insight and something about them, their audience, competition that they didn't know before. But they think, fuck yeah, that's true. And they go, and here's how we bring it to life. And then the ideas, uh, so strategy is how you win the war, tactics are how you win your battles. So you've always got to focus on winning the war because not just the little things that are going to win you pockets of battles here and there. It's the strategy is, is the big picture. And if you can get them to find the big picture, sometimes it's not about having the right creative ideas because those can change. Mm -hmm. Get the strategy right and the insight right. Um, and often you're halfway there, if not fully there. Yeah, because I can imagine like, you could go into a pitch and you have this fantastic idea which they're like yeah that's absolutely genius but wouldn't work for our brand or like that doesn't make any sense for our audience and things like that and you're like well that was that's pointless <laughs> you know that's not getting you anywhere but like you said if Completely. you've got the yeah. insight thing you can like build from there even if it isn't those exact ideas that you've gone through in the pitch they know that you've got that kind of initial very important kind of stepping stone that's going to get to those amazing ideas when you hopefully win the business Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and without preempting your questions, I think the important thing as well to have a, a tissue session so you can stress test those ideas. And a good tissue session is one where 50% of your thinking is thrown out because it's rubbish or it's not feasible or it's inappropriate, which is the point. You're not that you can't win a tissue session, uh, but you can come away with an understanding of what's right, what isn't and areas to build on. And the best tissue sessions are if you go in for something that actually does really excite them. Some stuff, no, that's not right for us. No, could never do that. But that's interesting. And a client starts talking, unprompted, thinking out loud. And sometimes, without even knowing it themselves, they're guiding you towards their, the answer they're mm. looking for. And you come away from the tissue session, okay, okay, that's what we need to focus on. Build that out. That's what's exciting them. And let's show it how it can work in different ways across a year or something like that. Um, so if you don't have a tissue session, you're often going into a pitch completely blind. Um, because sometimes you know this, they say they want to be brave and actually that they're on a bravery scale of one and they <laughs> want to move it to two or three. You've gone in with a bravery scale of 10 and you've frightened the producers out of them. <laughs> but if you had that session in advance, you, you kind of know where to pitch it. And sometimes they actually want to be far braver than you thought. You've played safe. So you're just guessing and anticipating and that's, that's not the way to, to win a pitch and, and do best work with them. Yeah, often I think we haven't had the uh, the benefit of having the time to do a, a tissue session in the past. Um, and actually, I think I'm sure we'll come on to that in terms of like the time that's necessary to be able to do, you know, to prep your new business pitch, but also the kind of lead time, the thinking time and all that kind of stuff. Do you think that that is a, a bit of a, maybe an issue of um, the potential client wanting to turn around things quite quickly and not giving that ability to have those lead up meetings before you go into the big, big pizzazz pitch at the end? Well, time's the most valuable commodity when you're working on your business. And if a client really wants to meet their objectives, do the best possible work, drive as many sales as possible, get as much brand fame, 
um, then they need to work collaboratively with the agencies in the pitch process because otherwise they're all just coming in with something that's half-baked or not quite there. And if you're the client, you want to say you've got three or four agencies you're working with, see what they're thinking, go, yeah, actually that's really interesting, develop that. Another agency, no, but maybe... So it's collaborative, but it results in better work. Mm -hmm. And one of the worst pitches we did was was for a, a global can't name it but a very <laughs> famous global electronics company and they refused to do tissue sessions with anyone on what was a I wouldn't say it was a complex brief it was a badly written brief done by committee but they wanted to focus on CSR and connecting with Gen Z and we want to be relevant to the issues that matter to Gen Z and they refused to do a tissue session because they thought it would give competitive edge to those agencies that participated well well yeah it would but Every agency should have the opportunity. And sure, the point is for us all to have the chance to give the best work for you to get to where you want to be. As a result, we did the pitch and we had so many questions about the brief and it was very vague and often contradicting itself. So we had to kind of guesswork what we thought they needed to do. So we presented a case of, well, this is what really matters to Gen Z around sustainability and CSR, what brands should be doing and what isn't authentic. So here are ideas based on that. And they said, these ideas are great, but we'd never do them because, you know, they're they're too far ahead of where we want to be. Now, if we'd had a tissue session, they could have told us that. And we wouldn't have wasted four weeks working in the dark trying to guess what they wanted. And actually what they really wanted was something quite glib and superficial with rappers and influencers that actually didn't really make a difference. And sure enough, the first campaign they did was with uh, Vanilla Ice and he got pulled within 24 hours because he was the wrong talent. It was a ca- it was labelled as the worst case of brand greenwashing by one media title. And for a campaign that was about sustainability, they launched it uh, a day before Vanilla Ice posted pictures from his private jet. So they hadn't, hadn't even chosen the right talent. You know, so it oh, just... Dear. There's an amount of due diligence that goes in, but they just saw fame, famous name, a kind of a catchy, punny title and not a good piece of work. So how did you feel when you, because that's an amazing example, how did you feel when you when you saw that and like the end result of it? Was it was it one of kind of like frustration that there was a missed opportunity for that brand or was it a bit of like satisfaction with, hey, we told you so? Because there is a bit of that that goes on in, in PR. It's like if you don't let us have the time and give us the right detail, you're not going to get any good work. There is, yeah. There was a little bit of shock and fright about it. But at the time, I was bloody livid because Mm. at the end of the pitch, they said, uh, that was really useful because you helped us understand our brief better than we could. Well, that's not our job to interpret Mm. their brief and replay it back to them. And that here's here's what you actually need to be doing and here's how you do it. And then realising that actually they weren't ready to go there yet. and They they wanted to be really safe and, and beige. Um, so that was really annoying, being told that we'd made sense of a brief for them because we were trying to make sense of it ourselves. Yeah. And we could tell that internally there were so many different layers and stakeholders feeding into it that it didn't actually make sense. Yeah, like what it always fascinates me when you get a bad brief. Um, it's like, well, who's who's thought of this? There must have been like sign-off and, and stuff like that. And in fact, it leads on to our, our kind of 
next question, I suppose, about kind of favourite or least favourite elements of new business pitching. You're like vastly experienced in this area, but obviously coming up with ideas, like creative ideas and presenting them is one part of it. But you've touched on the the kind of the strategic thinking and the amount of time that goes into it, receiving a brief, tissue sessions, etc. But yeah, could you tell us a little bit about your, your favourite and, and least favourite elements of the process from start to finish? When a brief comes in, and this is this is just something I've always had, there's a sense of dread. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, as soon as a brief comes in, we've got a brief from sub so-and-so, and it could be a big multinational, it could be a, a tiny little ambitious startup, there's the sense of dread. Uh, you're, you're starting off with, with a blank page, no thoughts, no ideas, and you think, oh, how, how the fuck am I going to crack this? And it's like a monkey on my back. Um, and um, so I guess there's a sense of irritation, but that's what drives me and probably others, that, okay, we've got to nail it, not just come out with what we think would be okay or what might be looking for, but um, we'll look at what competitors are doing. What um, I always say, you know, so when I do creative training, to understand what, um, to do great work, you have to know what great looks like. So often I'll see what, others have been doing in the sector look at you know can lions winners and look at case studies from around the world others that have had this challenge with a with a brand or an issue and how they've how they've addressed it brought it to life but also know what bad looks like as well so don't do stuff that feels it's been done before and it was it was a bit mediocre um so you sit back and you you talk a lot once a you we talk a lot amongst ourselves about how could we really you know make a difference here what would it take you know to do something different in the sector something different from this brand what's going to excite them what excites us um and so there isn't a process in the sense that we have loads of kind of time allocated to brainstorming we just sit and talk and churn and pick out interesting things finding stuff from articles or read that's interesting they should be involved in that um and how can we tell that differently and show it in a different way and those conversations I have with Matt and other people in the team, um, you know, often they're very funny. Uh, we we pitch for an adult entertainment brand, uh, which we won called EricaLust.com, um, which is essentially porn made by women for women. Uh, I can't even really say it on this podcast, but some of the ideas we came up with were absolutely <laughs> hilarious. And not necessarily not necessarily intended to make the brief, but it kind of uh, loosened us up a bit for just got us relaxed and I think you know if you're really tense trying to and if you're trying to force ideas if you've got someone standing in the room saying come on let's have ideas you know, mm-hmm. you know it doesn't work like that you've just got to be relaxed joke talk about things anecdotes personal observations things that happen to you something your neighbor told you about that could relate to this and and it starts to bring things to life until you get something that brings you towards that that kind of insight and, and towards a strategy about what, what could they be doing, what should they be doing, and, and how is this going to make a difference to an audience in a way they go, fuck yeah, that's clever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think a lot of it just comes through chatting, and then you kind of think, okay, we've got enough here to work with. And then it's often in when you start writing things up that other ideas, angles, possibilities uh, become apparent to explore. That's I, I love the fact that that's like that drives you like I, I share the same thing that kind of that fear when and actually Lou we talked about it before where you get a brief and it is like a blank page and you're like oh god this is 
There's so much to do, so much to think about. It requires a lot of energy, a lot of time, a lot of kind of a lot of people, a lot of different types of of thinking. Um, but yeah, it's um, it's the fact that you kind of you you obviously spend a lot of time talking about it rather than just these like is this fair like rather than predefined kind of processes where it's like right we've got one hour where we're going to scrutinize the brief then we've got two hours to chat about it and then we need to come up with ideas so it feels like it's a more a more natural way you do it it's conversational and things come out when you're talking about it thinking about it having a bit of fun with it is that fair yeah, and it's more fluid. If you try and force it, and you say segment it into sessions at a time, I know that works for some people, but it's never worked for me. Yeah. Um, personally, I like to go off and have a go online, read stuff myself, and and come back and share stuff that I think is interesting and why I think it's interesting and it, how it's prompted me to think differently. And that starts conversations, and other people do that as well. So it's just about getting the conversation going because if you just say, right, it... In, in one hour's time, we're going to be talking about this potential client. And then you just come into a room unequipped without any kind of uh, insights or observations or even anecdotes. You've got to just get the ball rolling. You mentioned how you've recently just won a new business pitch, which sounds like it's for an ethical porn company. That's very interesting. Um, I'm going to imagine that was a fun pitch. I don't know. But um, can you tell us about some of your best and worst new business pitches? I can't wait for this, by the way, Mark. <laughs> I'm genuinely... Feel free to anonymise where necessary and legally necessary. I have a list. Yes. <laughs> there's, there's a lot on the list for the worst. Um, in, in no particular order. I mean, sometimes when you're doing a pitch and you want to relax the mood as we do here Sean who's the founder Sean and I will often talk about a pitch we did to an organization or a charitable body called the Queen Elizabeth Fund which was uh, for it was um, grants that were given to artisan craftspeople uh, by the Queen Mother uh, and after she died the fund continued and they were looking to increase awareness of it and we went and did this pitch and it was just not in Buckingham Palace, but just off Buckingham Palace. And um, we just got a sense that we were completely inappropriate before <laughs> the pitch had even started. We'd seen the other agency coming out and they were all extremely posh and wearing twin sets and pearls. And every single one of them was called Felicity, um, even the men. I just thought, we're not right for this. And we walked in and we had our, this is, we didn't have a PowerPoint, we had stuff on boards and we carried it in. <laughs> And we were introduced, and it was Lady So-and-So, Colonel So-and-So, Baroness So-and-So, and they were all over 70 and all kind of well-connected members of the aristocracy. <laughs> and they were immediately annoyed that we had our boards with us because they were unsightly. Could you remove them out of sight, please? We're going to use them for presentation. When you need to present with them, you can present them, but at the moment they're unsightly. So that was a bad start. And it just kind of... <laughs> rattled through it and I can remember the exact moment it happened Sean made a comment about and maybe we could even do a feature partnership with the sun and suddenly this baroness erupted and said good god um, <laughs> and, and spluttered and someone else said rah, 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 rah. Uh, and, and we realised that they didn't want to be in the sun um, so that was an awful one uh, there was uh, there was one we did this is when I was at MHP, where we were given two days 
and this was against my better judgment. Kind of the boss told me we had to do it because the size of the organisation, two days to put together a presentation, a social strategy and content ideas for this business. And we had to do it in two days because the founder's wife was going to be there. So we, we worked around the clock on it uh, and we went to the pitch and met the head of social who seemed quite nervy and then the founder's wife came in with a face like thunder looking like a zombie dolly part and <laughs> she's extremely cantankerous very irritated to be there and scowled at us and said um so i hear you're you're here to give me social media ideas i just want you to know two things i don't believe in social media and i don't need your ideas but wow. go ahead <laughs> and, and she had a dog with her a little yorkshire terrier who she just let walk around the room in this vast room and this dog is just walking around kind of sniffing our ankles as we pitched in silence with this woman continuing to scowl at us for an hour. I think the dog was more engaged than she was. She was just genuinely angry. And at the end, we finished talking. and There'd been no comment, no interaction. So to kind of break the silence, one of my colleagues, who was the head of social, said, did you see anything there that you liked? And she went, nope. Oh, wow. And so we just picked up our stuff and oh, left in silence. That's Patted so the dog on the head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At least you got yeah. to see a dog. It's quite nice. Early on in my career, um, early on in my career, one of the first pitches I ever did was to Excel Logistics, who were based in Milton Keynes. Now, this is the late 90s when even a big agency, which at the time was Agency of the Year, Red Consultants, had Microsoft as a client. We only had one laptop. Uh, to, you had the company laptop, and it was this brick the size of Canada. And only the, the MD or the CEO could use it because it was such a valuable, expensive resource. And the pitch was on the laptop, and we got a train to Milton Keynes to do this, which was very big money at the time. Still is now one and a half million pound pitch, pitch to Excel Logistics. We all got off the train, looked at each other on the platform, and the boss said, who's got the laptop? <laughs> and we'd left it on the train. Ah. And again, this is in the days before we had backup. Um, the entire presentation was saved on the laptop, and we just watched the train departing, oh pulling God. away. And uh, we, we had to call up and say that someone had been taken seriously ill at Milton Keynes Station because we had nothing. We had nothing to work off. You know, it's not like we could just email it up to us because the files are too big in those days. So, yeah, that was that was truly horrific. Oh, oh did you do the pitch in the end when the person was feeling better? <laughs> yeah, they made a miraculous cover a few days later. <laughs> and, and in fairness, did win it. Oh, okay. Oh, God, the absolute sinking feeling, <laughs> just seeing all that work go by. I, I was just glad I was like the junior accountant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One time. Not really my problem. It wasn't me that fucked up. Yeah. yeah. And there was a kind of understanding. No one at the agency hears about this. So I can tell this story now, 25 years on. Lou, I think you were going to go through, we kind of wanted to paint some scenes for oh, you, didn't yeah. we? And kind of go through your likes and dislikes or views on a number of new business related things. Yeah, we had fun putting together a few common, I guess, things that people comment on in the new business pitch. I'm not going to say whether people think they're positive or negative because that would ruin the fun to get your impression of, of them and what you think of them. Uh, but yeah, I wanted to paint a little scene of the fact mm -hmm. that uh, you, you've just got an RFP through and you're reading through the information that they've given you. Uh, I'd like to get your thoughts on each point of these. So you start off and you realise okay, the big pitch meeting, it's over Zoom. What is your thoughts on that? I guess it's the world we live in. Uh, 
if they if they are the other side of the country, it's it's fine. I mean, if they're the other side of Shoreditch, that's a bit crazy. <laughs> um, it, it's it's very hard not to not to win a pitch over Zoom, but to to get the best possible pitch out of doing it Zoom because there's so much going on in the room that's that's chemistry and face to face. The worst kind of pitches actually are the ones where they turn their screen off. Yeah. So you're just pitching to a black screen. That's awful. Uh, because you do need that, you know, if you've got something to say, you, you want to see their reaction because yeah. you, you work on developing something and landing maybe a killer point and you're looking for that reaction uh, and knowing whether you're onto something. And if you don't have that, if you're just, as has happened before, they've just turned all the screens off, you're talking to yourself. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, I did have one where I... I called my dog a fucking idiot because I forgot I was on Zoom <laughs> and I forgot he was under actually pitching to to the Saudi royal family at my previous agency and a Saudi princess was on the call and my dog was asleep under my desk and I forgot he was there and the postman came and he just went berserk and I said shut up you fucking idiot and then realised that oh, my swearing oh. could be heard by the Saudi royal family <laughs> Boy. And I could, even though it was on Zoom, I, I could feel the steam coming out of my boss's ears. <laughs> oh, man. Um, before COVID, did you do... Um, uh, well, actually, that sounds like maybe that was before COVID, that exact example. But um, did you used to do Zoom? That was that was during COVID. Oh, that was during, oh, right. yeah. Because but before then, did you would you even entertain the idea of doing it via Zoom? No, God, no. Yeah. Uh, and as you've seen, how long it took me to set up this, this call <laughs> on this meeting... Um, that's that's a good thing, and I, you know, I'm, I'm not great with technology. And human interaction is really important. Yeah. But, you know, it's uh, we're, we're in the art of communication uh, and being able to do it face to face and build relationships and, and chemistry and understanding. It helps to be together in the same room. Yeah, for sure. So you are on this Zoom pitch, and uh, the client, your potential client, they're in the car during the whole meeting so you can hear the indicators you can hear you can hear them the traffic whizzing past what are your thoughts on that would you say anything there might be a reason maybe <laughs> they have to pick up their kids from the nursery which i could relate to um now that's a weird one uh, i would find that really disconcerting because again they're distracted mm. um but certainly not anything that i've encountered but yeah I, I would find it very distracting trying to present to anyone not in a you want them to be focused on you not doing something else um, I mean, the reason these are on the list is because there there have been instances which we have heard which uh, wow. this has actually happened. Um, a, a couple of people have mentioned that this has um, been the case. We, I, I guess, like you said, sometimes it might be um, unavoidable. Something's happened which they suddenly mean they need to be in a car. But from from the description of when people said these these things had happened, it sounded like it was very much planned. That they were going to take this call while driving. But hey, hey, ho. <laughs> I, I have been in a pitch where the decision maker... Um, his phone went as we're doing the introductions and he said, excuse me for a minute, took his phone, walked out and never came back, <laughs> which was very strange. And we talk about being ghosted after pitches. We were ghosted in the pitch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now that's a rare one. That's a curate egg of a yeah. new business experience, that. Yeah, just off. Okay, yeah, that, that was actually Sonos speakers. I'll name them because <laughs> that was two weeks of work down the drain. Yeah, oh, oh. that's very upsetting. Um, so on the RFP that you've received... They haven't said a budget, and when questioned, they've said, "You know, we don't want to we don't want to tie you down by naming a budget. You just come back with what you think we should spend." What are your thoughts on that? Uh, don't pitch. 
Just a no. Just that yeah. pitch. It, it's a bad sign. I'm, I'm good mates with people at Taylor Herring, and I, James and Pete there have the same rule, just don't pitch. Uh, if they can't give you a budget, there's probably the fact they don't have, have a budget um, or they don't really know what they want to do. Also, mm. a good chance they're fishing for ideas. Mm. Um, and a budget isn't just for an agency to see how much money they can get out of a client. It's so they can do really good work. And if they cut, they, a client will know how much budget they have. Um, and it seems baffling they're not able to tell you why. I mean, if there's a if there's a few variables, tell us the variables, and hence why you know you can have a bronze, silver, gold, platinum option. That's fine. But if you if you're given uh, everything to work with, you're also given nothing to work with. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the the bronze, silver, gold option. Do is, is that yeah the best way to? To kind of not just say, oh, we'll just use up all the money that you do have if they haven't given you a budget. It's just saying, like, here are the, like you said, here are the variables and you can go with what you feel most comfortable with and things like that. But do you think that is much more conducive than to have those three options or four options if you're going to do platinum, platinum plus? Yeah, it is. You've got to sometimes think maybe there's an internal thing going on because they have a marketing budget. So how much are they going to spend on advertising, how much they're going to spend on social, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, on live events. And so they might have so much for PR. And so you're actually making a case for a bigger slice of the cake. So that makes perfect sense. And sometimes you can show how an idea can be scaled. So you can pitch a single idea that works at a kind of a bronze level, but how if you want to invest more in it, how it can be built up over time, over different channels, using different elements such as talent, for example, to, to help give it a boost, maybe paid. Mm. Um, so a bronze idea can also be a platinum idea, but it just has more possibilities and greater reach. Yeah. Uh, we spoke about time before. Um, so you've got the RFP and they said to you, the big pitch, not even the tissue meeting, the big pitch is next week. Is that a goer? You did say that you just did one in two days, so maybe, maybe that is possible. Well that, well, that was a disaster. Yeah, uh, <laughs> didn't get quite so well. <laughs> <laughs> um, the dog liked us. Uh, <laughs> you always want to say no. Uh, it, it's very hard to do your best work in two days. Um, but we've actually just just won a piece of business here for a very well-known brand where they came to us. I guess it was more a sense of urgency. They wanted something to happen in January and they got some budget left over from this year. We hadn't worked with them before, so that was a big incentive. Um, so we delivered a pitch-winning idea. Actually, that, in that case, it was non-competitive. But if they take their business seriously, um, and if they take people they work with seriously, they give you time. Mm-hmm. It, it's a bad sign that um, they put what is often undue unnecessary pressure. And sometimes it's for reasons like, oh, well, I'm going on holiday, mm. I'm be back for two weeks. Well, that's their problem. It's not your problem. Uh, let us respond when you get back from holiday. You'll get a better response. You know, if, unless there's any reason, any urgency um, that they need it that quickly. And if they need it that quickly, why did they not think of it before? So that tells me of a of an individual or an organisation that hasn't really got their shit together. Yeah. Um, because nothing needs to be put together in two days. They could have come up with this pitch proposal process, request for ideas well in advance yeah. and if it's left to the last minute that's that's kind of a a, a a red light for me yeah it's such an indicator of what they'd be like to work with it's like if you're this chaotic when you have all the time to think about it and get 
invite agencies to pitch and get a proper process together. Like just imagine what it's like when we actually start doing work. So it's a good, yeah, good piece of advice that is like consider it a red flag for working with a company for sure yeah uh, sometimes as well you know we get this happens quite frequently where a request to submit the rfp which is essentially the pitch document all the thinking is in there and it's all written up uh and then a pitch two weeks later so you're under real pressure to get the rfp in on a deadline sometimes in a portal there's a cutoff point and you get to the pitch two weeks later and it's blatantly apparent that no one's actually read it so mm. why do we yeah. need to do all of that effort uh, it didn't make sense mm. um so yeah, sometimes it's just completely unnecessary, and and it kills you know, kills the kind of spirit of you know getting things done and doing the best possible work. You got what you think you know is an unnecessary deadline. Yeah. Um, when you are on the pitch itself, the client is tapping on a laptop. They're on their phone. They might even be wearing glasses, sunglasses, not glasses. Glasses are fine. Sunglasses <laughs> <laughs> the entire time. <laughs> All things that uh, we've heard people having experience of. Um, what are your general thoughts on that? Is is them doing other bits and bobs of work acceptable when you're doing going through your pitch ideas? Uh, I'm I'm old school, so so no. But we did a pitch recently for a famous global brand where we had eight people in the room we're presenting to, and all but two were working on their laptops. Not taking notes, they were working, mm. head down, uh, didn't even acknowledge us. And when questions came at the end, they kind of looked up and went, what? Oh, uh, no, no questions. Um, but I, I see it increasingly with uh, young people um, where a laptop is and a phone is, you know, it's, it's almost like an additional limb. And it's it's just become the norm to, to be checking messages, responding to messages, possibly even looking at Instagram um, during a pitch. It's yeah. Uh, my my boss Sean, years ago in a pitch, we went up to Norfolk, and this is this is you know two thousands, and someone was looking at his phone, and she stopped, and she said, "Excuse me, do you want to check your phone outside because I want to talk to everyone else?" And I was like, oh my god! Wow. But the the guy shrank. Yeah, but you know she she thought that we accorded more respect you know mm-hmm. for doing two weeks worth of work and traveling up to Norwich and this yeah. person to be looking at their phone I've got huge huge respect for that because I probably am guilty of it myself in in certain meetings where I'm so it's particularly after the pandemic where I was so sort of insular with like tabs open and my phone was like a sort of bit of a lifeline to the outside world so I've become more rather than less addicted to it but try and sort of stop that as much as possible and, and give people the respect they deserve. And calling it out is the only way it will, it will kind of change or get better, but I, I accept it too yeah. often as, as a norm for sure. I think I think that time has gone now. Yeah. Uh, I think it's beca- it has become the norm. Mm. But it's, it's really frustrating, especially because you want to make eye contact, you mm. want to focus on certain people, and mm. if they're only half listening, yeah. um, because... You know, we wouldn't we wouldn't be presenting at the same time whilst checking our Slack. Mm. No, that's yeah, true. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, so the scenario is: you've done your pitch, you've spent all that time in the run up to it, it's gone seemingly well, and then you're waiting to hear from them, and you hear nothing ever. They have ghosted you. <laughs> One, has that ever happened to you? And two, what are your thoughts on it? Uh, it's happened a fair few times, not for a long time though. Yeah, I can't remember. I can't remember a time recently been ghosted. I, I've heard lots of horror stories of those that have. 
um, you kind of get a sense of a client, first of all. There was one client, I wouldn't say they ghosted us. Um, the pitch had gone so well, and I guess this is another kind of irritation of pitches that hadn't really been as profound and explicit as this one. We did the pitch, we did a tissue session, which had gone really well, did a pitch, and at the end of the pitch, it just went, oh my God, you guys nailed it. That was That was brilliant. Someone said, that was the best articulation of our brand I have ever heard, and I have worked here 15 years. It was spot on. And I said, okay, great. And someone else said, we can't wait to meet you guys for a drink. You just, that was that was bang on, ideas amazing, strategy was great, so excited. And we said, are there any questions? I went, no, no questions. Amazing, nailed it. Well done, thank you. And uh, they said the decision would be made on the Friday. Friday came and went. On the Monday, I emailed, nothing, called, nothing. And eventually, I think they said, can we speak next Friday? So it was a week later decision. And they'd actually decided to go with someone else. What? Um, so, yeah. So that was actually worse than being ghosted. I think it was this idea of, you know, it, it was like being stood up at the altar. Well, I think you've been um, love-bombed. That is love-bombing, which yeah. happens. Yeah, that's, that's the client version of love-bombing. I... I I'm too old to know what love bombing is. <laughs> it's basically, it's basically showering you <laughs> um, in you're the best person ever, you're incredible, let's get married, all this kind of stuff, and then just, you know, be like, oh, actually, no, let's break up. And you just kind of, you've yeah, been we, brought we, up to that high and then brought back down again. So it's exactly what happened to you in a client sense. We, we were love bombed. Uh, oh. It was the fact that we ch- we had to chase to get that oh. that response, you know, and clearly, you know, in their own words, they they found someone that they fell in love with just a little bit more than us, uh, which is more calling. So I think part of that is actually from a client point of view, they needed to manage their feedback better because, mm. you know, they, they'd showered us for some praise, you know, I think was possibly warranted. It was a very good pitch, but mm. I think, you know, from a sort of client discipline, they needed to be more tempered in their feedback because then they set us up for a massive fall and I think coming second in that situation was worse than much worse than being ghosted or being told we were terrible Mm. Um, it was that tantalising glimpse of yeah let's work together and can't wait to meet you for drinks Mark, thank you for indulging us there with with sort of a, a mm-hmm. number of kind of new business scenarios that that we've sort of seen and, and heard about. Um, and I'm kind of jumping around in in terms of the, the questions we wanted to ask you, but wanted to sort of ask like, imagine PR utopia. Um, what would be your ideal new business pitch process from beginning to end? We talked a lot about the kind of the gripes and the need for time and things like that. But if you were to set the whole thing, your absolute dream, what would it what would it look like? Uh, I think a great brief mm-hmm. written with a clear, concise set of objectives. Um, when you get to ask questions, which is pre-tissue, they give robust, considered answers. Sometimes, not not all the time, far from it, but sometimes you get the sense that when you send questions over, it's kind of done in five minutes as an afterthought, or they're almost irritated. They have to do a bit more work having written the brief. But actually, this is all part for you know us to do something great for you. You've asked us, you've invited us to to think about your business and your challenges, and therefore we're going to ask more questions about how we can do that. So that's that that's the first part of collaboration uh, and having a tissue session, as I said stress test and honestly tell us what you like and what you don't like um, and how we can build upon that. 
the number of agencies as well. Um, you know, I, I, the maximum ideally, I'd say, ideally would be one, but uh, <laughs> a maximum of no more than four agencies. Um, I'm very reluctant to pitch, certainly if it's more than five, because what criteria are they setting for the agencies? I'd like to think that someone actually wants to work with you because they've seen what you do as, a, as an agency, as a body of work, a set of values and a culture, and they think, I'd like to work with these people. I'd be curious to know. And if they're working with 10 or 12 agencies they're approaching, they're just kind of maybe looking at awards lists and being really lazy, going, oh, that one, that one, that one, that one. But you're making lots of people do lots of work, and it just becomes a shootout. And it's exhausting. So ideally, they've done that due diligence on an agency they think is already going to be a good fit for them. Um, so a good question to ask and, and get a good response from. And if they're thoughtful, you know, what, what's the worst idea we could suggest? Uh, because when they think about it properly and give you an answer, um, you've got a good idea then of what good and great looks like and areas of interest. Um, and I think... Uh, being able to go in with a clear set of ideas and actually leave them wanting more. I think if uh, if a client's expecting a 12-month twelve program uh, to be what you get after a two-week kind of intensive round of putting together a presentation, a pitch, it's more about they buy into, so at the beginning, they buy into the strategy, they buy into the people, they buy into the thinking and not think that that is it and everything is set in stone because they're buying into the people and what they've offered already and thinking there's potential to do something even better. Um, and finally, whether you've won or not, but especially if you haven't won or not, great feedback mm. because you do so much work um, and there's so much anticipation, excitement, and endeavour, and blood, sweat and tears that goes into a pitch. And if they just say, oh, you were a close second, thank you, um, like, yeah, but give me more than that. Why, why weren't we first? What was it that made the other ones first? You don't have to tell us their ideas, but, mm. you know, was it, was it us? You know, was it <laughs> chemistry? You know, so you want, you want to know because it's a return on investment. You're not on the business, but at least you know in future, whether it's working with them or someone else, uh, what areas you can fine-tune yeah. and make yourself better. Yeah, that's a really, really good point. Like I think it's, um, like you said, even if it's kind of bittersweet because you haven't won it, um, it could just be simple things that you can make tweaks to or it can be larger things that you can really consider as, I guess, an agency going forward if you want to change up stuff based on that feedback, maybe. Who knows? But um, yeah, it's really mm -hmm. like I look forward to receiving that feedback even if we haven't won won the, the business because I just think, like you said, it's a good return and it's something that you can gain from like you can gain from it if it's not going to be the work itself that you, at least you get that feedback mm -hmm. um you didn't mention in that around yeah and the utopia would be that we are paid to do that pitch work uh is that something that you uh, would like in a in that pie in the sky world do you think it's actually feasible do you have you had that have you been paid to do a new business pitch yes uh only once that comes to memory, actually twice, uh, when I was at W, uh, I think it was Betfair paid for for a proposal which had to come back, the pitch had to be back in video, oh. video formats. Actually, there was a lot of work that went into that. So that was, I think, justified. But last year we pitched for ASICS, the running shoe company, and they gave us a really good brief. And Caroline Fisher was the point person there. She gave us lots of time. 
for feedback, thinking, briefing, and and we were paid handsomely for for our time, and we didn't win. But um, I think therefore there was a lot more respect for from them uh, for us getting into the process, understanding what we're going to do, but actually the recognition that um, I think there were only two or three other agencies that we were all going to really go. I wouldn't say I wouldn't say harder or you know or or work harder because we were being paid for it, but I just thought the fact that the client really wanted to invest in it, not just in in time, but but recognizing we were going to be working for weeks, that um, we we gave we gave our best. Yeah, I think it's it's a very like ethical thing to do. It feels very. I imagine I would like to think that the more ethical brands out there would be considering that as well, because it probably matches up with their values um, more so. I don't know if that is the case, but that would be nice. Um, but it was, it is, I, I, yeah. Sorry, I, I was going to give an example we pitched recently. Six agencies to a well-known high street brand. They had two briefs. Uh, one was specific to them, a, a sort of a calendar event. The second was they wanted a Christmas campaign. Um, we were told in feedback that we'd won Christmas. But unfortunately, the owners changed his mind because they hadn't done PR for a while. So they were only going to do the previous brief. So that was a whole waste of time doing Christmas. And then I saw that the campaign that was mooted, that they said was just an idea they couldn't resist. I got in touch with with a mate at the winning agency and said, I haven't seen your campaign. He said, don't talk to me about it. He said, they pulled it. Uh, the, the owner also decided that he didn't want to do any PR. So that was six PR agencies going after two briefs. I calculated we probably spent from beginning to end, you know, research, ideating, writing up, presenting, 100 hours, but that's 600 hours combined of agency time just mm-hmm. flushed down the loo by, by a, a business that actually wasn't that serious. I think what we need is some kind of cartel like Pablo Escobar where all the agencies get together and, and just kind of call the shots. This is our minimum time. If you want to work PR, you're going to have to pay for it or any creative yeah. communications. Imagine that. That, that actually I sounds mean, really dreamy to be It's kind fair. of like a unionisation in a way of agencies. Yeah. It's like if we all say we're going to charge for it. Yeah. Anyway. Everyone agrees. Um, I think we've got time for a couple more questions. So um, one I wanted to ask... Um, was around, well, you're, you're very eloquent, you're very experienced, you've obviously done a lot of new business pitches, but one thing that always amazes me is how kind of, I don't know, nervous people get when they're pitching. Um, and, and I wondered if you had any advice for people who are starting their career in PR or maybe you've never been involved in a new business pitch process before and they're sort of, they're feeling quite anxious about the process. Do you have any any things you do, any, any like routines you go through to kind of relax yourself, get yourself in the zone and just, just feel confident going into the room or, or Zoom? Sorry, that was an awful rhyme at the end. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, was, I was always really nervous. Um, not so much public speaking. I've done some of that, but with the pitch situation, uh, and, and I was, you're setting up yourself up for fear about fluffing your lines. That's that's the important thing. Uh, so, what if I look like an idiot? What if I forget? What if I? And I've seen people dry up, and it is genuinely awful. And you feel for them. You know, just they can't suddenly find the words, and the worst thing they either dry up 
or they just start speaking in tongues and just blabbering about anything that comes into their head and it's just, you know, it looks like they've, they've taken acid. Um, <laughs> so uh, I always used to write loads and loads of notes down, different colour biros in this one. I was a lot more junior. So, and I'd have them and I'd try and memorise them. And they were almost like a security blanket, comfort blanket. And then one pitch I went to, I left my notes on the train. I was like, fuck, what am I going to do? Um, I'm still going to have to present. And um, I just and I just told myself, well, actually, these are your ideas. That's your colleague's idea. You know the brand. We've been talking about two weeks. You know it. And as a result of that, I just kind of had a zen moment. And when it got to me, I just thought, you know it. And I just said it flawlessly and without, with fewer nerves than I'd ever had before. So now I sometimes still write down notes and stuff, but actually... I do very little preparation, but I think that comes from experience. Yeah. Certainly say never do any preparation, but um, always make sure you know what you're going to say. But um, the fact is that if you do know what you're going to say, it's in there. It's just about getting yourself in the relaxed state to do it. So be prepared, but don't think that, you know, that it's all going to fall apart. If you know it and you're prepared, mm. you can say it. And I think, uh, you know, they talk about it in, in, in psychology, vis- positive visualisation. They do things like telling footballers or golfers, you know, imagine yeah. yourself just scoring the goal. It's the same thing. Just like, you know what you're going to say, imagine saying it. And so when you, you kind of put yourself in that zone, that's how I do it. Um, I didn't know what it was called at the time. But that's how I got around it, positive vis- visualisation. Yeah, that's really useful, I think, because um, I think people, yeah, I definitely get the um, the build-up of, what's the word, adrenaline. I never felt, like, super nervous, like I was really going to, like, cock it up, but I always got that kind of, like, adrenaline going. But for me, the, the, what I always did was just have the first thing I wanted to say, like, written down, almost like the first sentence. Because yes. once I started... Then I was away. It was always that sort of build up to the first thing you're going to say, just in case it was like, and now over to our head of PR, Steve Bacon. It was like, good day. Or, like, you know, <laughs> like say something really bizarre like, for no reason. But there's some really good tips there. A question that we're asking all of our, our guests, uh, and your answer doesn't have to necessarily be about the new business process. It can be very open if you want. But uh, the question is what do you want to see more of in the digital PR or the PR industry? And what do you want to see less of? Oh, that is a good question. I, I think we hit upon it earlier. I'd love to see, and it's, it's a utopian thing, it's not going to happen. I'd, I'd love to see agencies paid for time invested in pitching. Um, ad agencies get paid. Uh, architects get paid when they're commissioned to come up with buildings. Um, so it would be good to see some, some kind of acknowledgement of that. Um, what would I like to see less of? From a personal point of view, um, <laughs> bugbear of mine is when, uh, and this this will probably be prevalent in digital, if not more so as well, the the reach of billions figure. So, <laughs> so when a campaign is evaluated and it had a reach of 115 billion, and you know the population of the world is is eight billion, so that assumes <laughs> that. <laughs> uh, the population of the world has been smacked with this campaign ten times around the face. So yeah, just just 
un- un- unnecessary uh, evaluation and measurements uh, that always comes in billions. Um, I know how it's calculated. Just because you get a piece of mail online, it doesn't mean that everyone uh, who read mail online that month happened to read that one article. Uh, so mail online has a reach of how many? 100 million. But sometimes some pages are only read by hundreds of people. Um, but yeah, that's no one reveals the dark arts of the metrics of reach. <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, well, thank you very much for joining us. It's been very, very interesting. Yeah, um, thank you, Mark. Do you have anything you would like to plug in terms of cow? Are you hiring, for example, or anything that you would just like to talk about about self promotion? Well, maybe if this has gone badly, we might be hiring for my replacement. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're always hiring, and we're always looking for. Um, not just young, eager talent, but also old, eager talent. Um, I think we're, we're hiring for an account manager at the moment. And also we're growing our social team. So everything we do is integrated. We're not, we start as a PR agency. So uh, we cover live events, social content. We have our own studio um, uh, with creative and strategy at its heart. So if that sounds interesting or intriguing, uh, we're always welcome to have people drop in, learn a bit more about the agency. Lovely. Well, I'm sure we will put some information around your website and maybe your Twitter profile so people can get in touch if they want to get some more information on that kind of stuff. But otherwise, thank you so much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Mark. Pleasure to meet you. Thank you. It's been a joy. Thanks for listening. 